It's quiet, so it must be time to start. Hello? Good to see you guys. Oh, well, it's time to go. Yeah, the, the music was on, had had her chance there, so. We can do some stuff down the road. We can do some. Yeah. Debbie can play with some things. There you go. Well, um, we've been in Acts 21. At least we were last week. We did the first six verses, and we were talking about commitment. And uh, we'll kind of continue that theme. It's uh, this time. It's commitment at any price is what we're going to call it. I don't have any uh, don't have any outlines here, um, but um, I'll just kind of hit the bullet points here with you. Um, we, matter of fact, we talked about uh, kind of different kind of commitments that there are. There's a kind of commitment that's incomplete. Um, that's where we just never give it all to the Lord. Then there's an insincere commitment. It's just kind of fake. It's uh, intermittent, maybe at best. And uh, I'll do it today, but who knows about tomorrow? That kind of commitment. Then there's a commitment that's total abandonment. Just a total abandoning everything for <laughs> being committed to the, the cause of the Lord. Uh, this is one who never wavers. And of course, you look at Paul and uh, what an example that uh, he has. It's kind of blossoms in this section that we're uh, dealing with tonight. Last week we talked about uh, commitment knows what its purpose is about. Remember that? It has a purpose. And but commitment cannot be diverted from anything. And then this tonight is commitment that will uh, pay whatever price it is. And so we get a good, a good I think a good example from uh, from Paul and uh, so this is the major point. You think of uh, Daniel, and whenever he was in uh, Babylon, and of course the rule came down about uh, praying. You could only pray to uh, um, the, their king. So what did Daniel do? Uh, of course, he did what he always did. He did what was right, and uh, he wasn't going to be praying to uh, any king. Um, we know that um, Daniel did what he did. He opened his window up, and he prayed to God as he always did. Never anything really changed. He knows what his goal is. And so that's what he's going to do. And nothing diverted him either, did it? And so he paid the price as he spent some time in the lion's den. But we know that God delivered him. Then you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they too, on one particular focus, and did the same thing as... Daniel did. They did not bow down to the false gods. They would not do that. They were willing to pay the price, which would be their lives. And, of course, they walked right into that fiery furnace. And, of course, we know the story. God delivered them, too. They stuck by their guns, and there we go. So that's kind of getting us into where we're at tonight. Why don't we uh, pray? Father, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for the commitment that You uh, give us an example of. Uh, and We've seen so much in the book of Acts. Um, of course, commitment is only as good as uh, Your strength and Your power and Your Holy Spirit and Your Word. And uh, with You uh, residing in these individuals and, and the church, and all down through church history, we've uh, seen a commitment that is there. 
And may we endeavor to uh, be committed people to you and desire to do your will no matter the price. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start at verse 7. Paul's on a journey, journey back to Jerusalem, really. And he knows he's going to go there. That's where he's headed. And now he's gotten all the way to the coast. Uh, they were in Tyre. We'll pick it up at 7. When uh, we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left uh, and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready, started on our way up to Jerusalem. Commitment at any price. And from 7 through up to through 15 there, um, this is what we see. And we see that um, they're staying at Ptolemaeus, and uh, the church is there. The church has been established right there uh, near the coast. And you remember there was a ministry in Samaria many years ago, and uh, so the church is there. It's flourishing. Paul gets to stay there. And then the next day, Paul and his uh, company depart and they go to Caesarea. And uh, so they, they had been a day there at Ptolemaeus. They're off to Caesarea. And this is the last stop before Jerusalem. Been making really good time. Making good headway. And where is it that they go to to stay? They entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. That's interesting. <laughs> now, he's one of the seven, and we've met him before, because uh, way back in chapter 6, go back here if we like, he was one of the deacons elected, to, uh, which means servant, to uh, serve the, the widows. And uh, it happens to be the uh, some Greek names here. Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We know what happened to Stephen. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And, uh, of course... These guys then became quite uh, quite the seven, as they were um, quite the servants, the deacons there in uh, in Jerusalem. The, they served the Hellenistic Jews, and Philip happens to be one of them. 
And Philip would be one of those guys that was probably, uh, really, I think it's so interesting because Paul is staying in Philip's house. But before Paul became a Christian, he was wreaking havoc all over and, uh, of course, in this area, we know why the church was spread out because the, ch- the church would, would continue to grow even though there was persecution. And guys like Paul, especially him or Saul, uh, was um, a part of that, making them do that. Um, so I, I think it's, it's interesting here on the, um, on the come around now, Paul is staying at his house. And this would have been one that Paul would have liked to have probably persecuted too. So he um, he's not only a deacon, but he's also called an evangelist here. And in Ephesians, it talks about the uh, evangelists, the ones who gave the good news. Uh, they also are known as uh, church planters, started churches up. Uh, anyway, his headquarters is in Caesarea. Caesarea is a nice place to be. Beautiful city. In fact, very beautiful. It's a a Roman city in Israel. It's in Judea. And we'll get to that in a moment. But um, Philip has four daughters who are prophetesses. Now, for one thing, they are... um, virgin daughters and evidently it doesn't uh, look like um, Philip has to worry about marrying them off that would cost a great deal of money <laughs> and, and uh, they have their um, thing in life um, as they minister the word they, they did they prophesied they, they would speak words of practical instruction to the church so um, this was a um, if you look at the foundation of the church, of what it was, you had the uh, the prophets, the uh, the apostles, and uh, of course the the word of God was built on the apostles. But you had um, you had these prophets and prophetesses who who knows how much they did it, uh, wh- where they did it. Uh, but the thing is, is that um, they were able to practically give uh, things from God to the church. So there's quite the quite the gift there. So Paul, as we um, approach this uh, in verse ten, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And I said a while ago, Caesarea is in Judea, and so why is it saying that he came down from Judea? Sounds, yeah. Oh, oh, we know we know the Jerusalem thing, and another thing here, if if Caesarea is in like Judea, then why would it say that they came from Judea? It sounds like from one place to another. But the Jews knew that this was such a Roman city, and it was kind of like its own little pagan island, um, very uh, Romish, and we know what the Jews thought of that. We know what the Romans thought of, of the Jews. So anyway, it was kind of like a foreign land. The Jews considered it. So, uh, even though it's a Roman city there in Israel, yet it's the, the Jews don't like to consider it to be a part of uh, of them. So, we have this guy who is a prophet named Agabus, and I think the the fact that he's a prophet is um, really um, 
really interesting, really powerful. And of course, you know what? In, in Ephesians um, two twenty, God uh, building the church says, having been built, talking about God's household, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. He revealed His Word when the Word wasn't finished in the New Testament. He revealed through these apostles. And really the apostles are the ones who, like Paul, for instance, wrote doctrine for the most part. Those practical elements in all of his writing, of course, but you will see doctrine all the way through. The prophets would bring in some direct revelation from God that would be real practical, and we see that in uh, in Acts, where Agabus, this is the second time we've seen Agabus, as he brings forth um, some news that's not really news to uh, Paul, but he told him how it would work, uh, what was going to happen, and he was right. But you have these guys were the the foundation that that was laid down. God revealed at that time. God doesn't give anything different from His Word today. Um, everything has already been finished. We don't have a, a Revelation chapter twenty three. Uh, the Bible is is done. It's complete. We don't have to worry about uh, adding on to it. Uh, and that and that's good to know. Know that we have a completed Bible, a completed Revelation. But it's good to, that God sends people to to help bring uh, enlightenment from it, and uh, of course He's taught that all the way through. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven uh, gets to the church. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. There they are again, and then some as evangelists. Now, that's kind of interesting. You don't really see that word in the Old Testament, but all of a sudden that pops up. And some as pastors and teachers. Um, after the age of the apostles, after Apostle John, you don't see any more apostles. There's no need for the apostles. They have given the word of God. Uh, but God does use the evangelists. He used the pastors, He uh, pastor teachers. Uh, to be able to bring forth God's Word. And um, just realizing how God had set that up, giving us the foundation, how it uh, builds on from there. Um, How He set up the leadership of the church to gift people, and then as they give the Word to them for maturity, and they learn the Word, then they are to teach it in turn too, right? Canon on down, as says in Timothy. So now we have um, uh, these guys who, they're the preachers. They, they preached all over the place. They preached the gospel of Christ. Apostles did. Uh, the, the prophets did. Public speaking is their forte. And they would actually get revelation, the prophets. Direct revelation from God. And uh, like we say, it's, it's, a, it's a practical thing. Go all the way back to uh, Acts uh, chapter 11. And here was Agabus, the first time we saw him. Uh, Verse 27, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now that was where we we see the church 
almost the headquarters seemed to kind of move there. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. So we know what time it was. And, th- and that's exactly what happened. Historically, there was a great famine. Agabus told them about that. That had to make an impression on people. It was This is dealing with uh, there needs to be relief to Jerusalem and Judea and all of them in that area. But Agabus was very helpful. God gives uh, him some practical um, revelation as he passes it on to the people. Uh, practical life of the church. Coming famine, so that that's Agabus as uh, as we see him now come to uh, Paul and uh, all of his buddies. The early churches, uh, as we think about um, the prophets, we also think of the apostles. Remember in Acts two, the people would gather together and they would listen to the apostles' what doctrine. And so that's that's really what they emphasize so much. So there, there's a little bit of difference between what Agabus does and what Paul does, even though he would be considered a prophet too. And prophet means to tell forth. Uh, sometimes people think it just always means to be telling the future, but it means to speak forth. It can mean future, but it can mean other things too, uh, speaking forth uh, the Word of God. So he... Uh, does a little practical illustration here to Paul. And it kind of reminds you of uh, an Old Testament prophet, even though Agabus really is a, is a New Testament prophet here. But he, uh, he does the illustration in a way that you would have seen in the Old Testament time periods, making it very visible, very um, vivid. And I think God is concerned about making sure His Word is um, understood, that um, people would understand it. And He goes to great lengths sometimes of how He presents it. Um, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's look a few of these. Let's um, go back into uh, our memory time here, right? First Kings. Chapter 11, and at verse uh, 29, 1 Kings, chapter 11, verse 29. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet... Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. So you have this prophet Ahijah. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak which was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. (laughs) Really? He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he'll have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. 
Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances as Father David did. Nevertheless, I will take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. Um, quite uh, graphic here. Clothed in new garments. And uh, you have the king here, and Hesia catches this new garment, tears it into twelve pieces. And uh, yeah, like Karen says, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, but um, Jeroboam, take me ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon. I'm going to give ten, ten tribes to you. I think that's very vivid. I think there's a picture in that, isn't it? Uh, in tearing the clothes and dividing it up like that. Um, there are other ones that are even more graphic. Go to Isaiah chapter 20. Quite interesting illustrations that God would have His men do, His prophets. He would go to extremes to get the attention of the people to tell them what's going to happen. In chapter 20, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Are you ready to read the whole chapter? Six verses. Six verses. <laughs> Matter of fact, since you said that, Bob, won't you pick it up? And we won't do the whole chapter for that sake. We'll pick it up at verse 2. At that time. Forgive the pronunciation. Verse 2? Yeah. At the same time, this is King James, I think, here. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Okay. And <laughs> that's, that's good right there. We'll start with that. Loosen the sackcloth. From your your hips, or uh, take off the shoes, go and loosen that off your loins. Walk naked and barefoot, as he says in the verse three. For three years, it's a sign. Uh, I don't know. Some would uh, would say that's not necessarily stark naked. Doesn't mention his. Um, Undergarments. Sounds naked to me. It sounds pretty naked to me. It says naked. <laughs> Further on down, even even more so. So uh, that's good enough for me. It's just you know, I'm, it's it definitely. I would hate to be caught in my underwear. Now on TV today, it seems like that that's quite common to have guys on t- on commercials. All of a sudden, you'll see some guy prancing around in the underwear. To me, in back whenever I was a kid, that was the last thing you'd ever want to do in your life. I don't care how much money they would offer me. I would never want to get caught even in my underwear. But, I mean, this is uh, it's amazing. And so, God asks some things of His people that sometimes doesn't make sense. 
But he's really making sense here. That kind of reminds me of the Cat Commission dinner when Mondo was talking about being nervous before giving his speech. Yeah. And what we told him about picturing everybody that you're giving his oh, yeah. speech in, your in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as we said here tonight, as I'm, I'm up, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not touching that. No. I may have corrupted it. Innocent young mind, Bob. I'm sorry. Well, I've got to keep an eye on it. He didn't know what he thought of that. I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> He's given a show and, show and tell speech this Saturday. We'll see how that goes. There you go. Yeah, he got his ideas stolen from somebody uh-huh. doing the drums. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's a good life lesson for you. you got to mm-hmm. improvise sometimes. Well, this definitely is um, a show and tell here in the sense of he's telling, he doesn't have to even say a word. And I'm glad I'm in the new covenant. (laughs) I I don't know. um, I can say that this certainly meant humiliation. And it's talking about Ethiopia and Egypt, and the humiliation, what's going to happen to them. It's a sign to Israel because Israel was relying on Egypt and the allies. Israel really didn't need any. Matter of fact, they were always told, you have God and God alone to depend on. Don't ever depend on other nations, other people. If you have God, you have all that you need, and He will look out for you. So instead of trusting God, you know, what is that song? Is some trust in chariots? But I trust in the Lord our God. Um, they weren't. And of course, they have power. It looks so good. Egypt is a major country. They have all the money. They have all the goods. They have all the weapons. And if we sign with them, they can protect us against the evil empires. And uh, they forgot. they're not supposed to go into any kind of covenant and having a contract with other nations. This is a three-year message. And don't you know that people, as they would see him uh, the the word got around he was a living message he lived this message in front of the people it was vivid it's amazing you wouldn't think that that would be something god would ask but uh yeah he told them this is what you are going to do um all the other countries they're not going to do you any good at all you should have relied on God. Now they have their prophet just living it out. And the nakedness, uh, as Barb said, just just got worse in verse 4. Uh, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exile of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Then they'll be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and Egypt, their boast. So the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, such is our hope where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? Uh, Isaiah definitely had quite the message all the way through, didn't he? 
39 chapters of deep, dark judgment. This happens to be one of them right there. And he uses his prophets. Uh, the shame of Egypt. And they'd be stripped naked. Well, enough of that one. Move on to Jeremiah chapter 13. God speaks through his prophets. He spoke in many different ways. Through angels, through dreams and visions. Then he spoke through his prophets and sometimes they didn't have to say anything. They could just live it out. Jeremiah 13, they definitely spoke enough, didn't they? Uses an apron this time. This is interesting. Jeremiah 13, Thus the Lord said to me, Go buy yourself a linen waistband. It's it's an apron. Put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. And the reason he's saying that is, we buy things today kind of like pre-washed, pre shrunk and everything, you know. Uh, you have an apron, the way that they would make them is it's all stiff and it hasn't been pre-worn. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, all the jeans that you can get, they already have the holes in them and everything. <laughs> um, he said, so, that's the idea. So I bought the waistband in accordance with the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, Okay, take the waistband that you have bought, which is around your waist. Listen to this. Arise. Go to the Euphrates. That's a pretty long way away. Go to the Euphrates River. Hide it there in a crevice of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord had commanded me. After many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the waistband which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug. And I took the waistband from the place where I had hidden it. And lo, the waistband was ruined. It was totally worthless. It was rotten. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, Just so will I destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them, let them be just like this waistband which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise and for glory, but they did not listen." Therefore you are to speak this word to them. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every jug is to be filled with wine. When they say to you, do not be very well known that every jug is to be filled. That's another thing here. Sorry. but that, We're talking about the ruined waistband there. <laughs> Just He went to uh, quite the extremes to go all the way to Euphrates River and put it in this cave and hide it in there and, and then uh, after quite some time to go get it, dig it out wherever it's at. (laughs) And God says that's what Judah and Jerusalem is like. You've bought this apron. uh, This is is like where they're at. Long trip to go bury a dirty apron, wasn't it? But God makes His illustrations very clear and they do make sense. 
it's a big picture. And uh, so he showed the apron was really it was profitable for nothing. It was totally destroyed, marred. I'll write the pride of uh, Jerusalem out. Well, how about Ezekiel? We've done Isaiah, Jeremiah. Ezekiel had a few things that God wanted him to do. Chapter 4, we see one. Now you, son of man, get yourself a brick. Place it before you and inscribe a city on it, Jerusalem. Then lay siege against it. Build a siege wall. Raise up a ramp. Pitch camps and place battering rams against it all around. Then get yourself an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. As for you, lie down on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. You shall bear their iniquity for the number of days that you lie on it. For I have assigned you a number of days corresponding to the years of their iniquity. 390 days, thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. Two tribes. I have assigned it to you for 40 days, a day for each year. Then you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and prophesy against it. Now behold, I will put ropes on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. Well, you guys with arthritis can't even imagine that. This is real. But that's how serious God was in showing the people and taking a man of God and telling him, here's what you're going to do. Um, it's almost like he's he's playing there in the sand or in the dirt. He takes this little... It's almost like a toy in a sense. You've seen kids get down there, you know, and then you know, they take a, a battering ram or whatever, the, the little city that they built, and and that's what he's doing, you know. When he, what's that? Sounds like Calvin. <laughs> Calvin Hobbes. <laughs> well, I'm sure that um, he's got to be saying, "Really? Okay, sitting in the middle of town, and he's got this fort and this play instrument that he has there, and he's casting a mound against it and setting the battering." Rams poking it with this little thing that he has, and he's going to attack it. Then you have this iron pan there that symbolizes uh, Nebuchadnezzar's army. This iron pan set for a wall of iron there. Uh, the city's going to be besieged. Uh, so he's besieging his little toy castle. <laughs> what whatever you know is going on here that represents Israel and uh, the northern kingdom. As as he lies on his left side, then he'll turn on his right side. And who's going to notice that? Hmm? Who's going to notice that? You're laying on the rock on the other side. If you lay there long enough, people will notice. Yeah, because you don't try to walk around. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This makes the comment that it said the iron grid standing on edge represented the wall between God and Jerusalem. 
Yeah, right. And of course, eventually they'll see that literally in a. But that's what happened. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, they had drawn up the wall. You know, they wanted their own thing. They, they, God was there with them all the time, but yet they wanted their own way. Rebellion. That's at the heart of mankind's soul. Rebellion. Rebellion against God. And we, we all naturally were that way. And He's still beating it out of us. Little rebellious ways. But there was a, a nation so blessed and uh, so graced and look what they do. So um, Ezekiel tied himself up Laid there for all those days. We know the forty days. Of course, you have the even the tribe of uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes there. So, judgment's on both. Even though at first it's it's going to start with the ten tribes, but the two tribes will will get it also. Day after day after day after day, and it was right before them, right there in the middle of town. They can't miss it. Everybody knows about. It. They know he's the prophet. It's been made very clear. <laughs> There's an interesting one also in chapter 5 of Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword. Take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard. A sword. Then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. One third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city when the days of the siege are completed. Then you shall take one-third and strike it with a sword all around the city, and one-third you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath a sword behind them. Take also a few in number from them, and bind them in the edges of your robes. Take again some of them and throw them into the fire, and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will spread all the house of Israel." Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her, but she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations and against my statutes, more than the lands which surround her, for they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have more turmoil than the nations which surround you and have not walked in my statutes nor observed my ordinances nor observed the ordinance of the nations which surround you, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. Speak to the abominations and such. I am against you. That's like the ones that uh, say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles. You know, Lord, we, we did this, we did that. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. So the sword here is uh, kind of like the symbol of the king of Babylon. He says, take a sharp knife, take a barber's razor, I guess, from that sword. Pass it on your head. Cut uh, cut it off. Give yourself a crew cut. At that time, it was a sign of humiliation. It was a sign of mourning. Nobody would cut their hair like that. And upon your beard... Uh, so, And that was forbidden. The priests were never to, to do anything like that. 
So burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city. That is going to be a burning. And then the hair was going to be separated another third and divided. And then uh, what you had another third uh, that would be scattered to the wind just all over the place. So there would be the fire and the, and the scattering and it smiting with the sword. Some will die by fire. Some will die by sword. Some will be scattered to the winds. And then there's another group of them. And what happens with them? Puts them in kind of the skirt, of a protection there. That's the remnant. God has always had His remnant. That's part of His covenant. His remnant. Take a few hairs and stick them in your skirt. Remnant of Israel there. God's remnant. Remnant. Isaiah was told that you're going to go out, prophesy, go tell them, go tell them the truth. What's going to happen? Just give them my word. And you know what? They're not going to listen to you. <laughs> but I have a remnant at the same time. So God used His prophets to communicate His message, no matter how strange it may sound but it was talking about the pain and the suffering that they will have because how disobedient, rebellious they were and were not trusting in God anymore and set up the wall and all that they did. Vivid. Well, it's Agabus. Why did we, why did we go on that, uh, what can you say, uh, a rabbit chase? Not too much of a rabbit chase if you get back to... <laughs> it's an organized rabbit chase. We'll go back there and we'll see Agabus who is doing something like what the Old Testament prophets did. Although he's a New Testament prophet. But I think he makes it very clear and he was absolutely right. It was true. And it happened. He says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. And that belt was quite a big, long sash or whatever they would usually have on their, their outer garments, you know. And you'd probably wrap it around at least a couple of times. And So he takes that belt and actually gives a visual. They, they really did visuals back then that people could, could see it. And... Uh, it's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Of course, in verse 12, they hear uh, Agabus on this. They already have heard this, and they're all gathering together. Luke is there, along with uh, many of the, the followers. and You have Caesarean Christians there. And so they're telling, don't go, don't go, as, as we would have probably been doing that. They're, they're begging him. Everybody said, oh, Paul, come on, don't do it, don't do it. You're going to get bound. They're going to be delivering you to the Gentiles. They know it's true. This is Agabus. He's a prophet and he's speaking for God. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we felt silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> um, you're breaking my heart. You're softening my heart. You, you know, it's, uh, wow. The, uh, the, uh, wow, what was that? Okay. Um, 
pounding it like a, a, a woman washing clothes at that time. You, you know, she'd pound her clothes on the rocks. And he says, why are you beating on me trying to soften my will? Uh, I could get tempted here to get weakened down with everybody like this. Cut that out. <laughs> That's the sense of it. So he's reaffirming his courage and his convictions and he's going to do what he knows what God has given him to do. He he collected the money. They collected the money. He's going to take it to Jerusalem and uh, so there he does it. And I think we can be so much like that. Sometimes when somebody uh, has been given God's will, we would like to keep them out of danger and well, we should, but yet at the same time, we can be well-meaning and, and be wrong. Um, but the whole key is, one, pursuing the will of God has to be uh, following God's will through the Word. It has to match up with this. And, uh, of course, Paul, uh, he was ready to forsake everything, wasn't he? That's quite a commitment. And Paul says, I am ready. I am ready. I'm ready for anything. I'm ready for everything. You've got to like that kind of Christian. Whatever it is, uh, instant readiness. Um, instant. In an instant for anything. And whatever uh, needed to be done, he's going to do it. Because he lived for Christ. So he's, he's ready to live. He's ready to die. And as far as he continuing out the will of God, you know, that's all that matters to him. I'm ready to be bound. And of course, that meant pain. That meant um, cruelty to him. And of course, while they're binding him, they're going to be beating on him. And they would just as soon as kill him there rather than go all the way to Rome. That That's the idea. God has a different plan. And he knows that if he dies there, it'll be by execution. And it would definitely be torture. And the Romans were good at that. Of course, the crucifixion is one of the most torturous ways, or the most torturous way. But he knew that when he was finished with Jerusalem, that you know it wasn't that he gave up and didn't have any plans, because where did he want to go after Jerusalem? To Rome. And then after Rome, he wanted to go to Spain. And uh, so when he got to Rome, you know he still has these dreams and these plans and these hopes. But at the same time, it's, if it's the will of the Lord for me to die here in Jerusalem, then so be it. Uh, I'll die. I'll die for the sake of the Lord. Quite a incredible thought. That's commitment, isn't it? That is absolutely determined commitment. Um, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Back to the Old Testament for a moment. Ezekiel 3. 8 and 9. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, Israel's faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. It's like you can stand toe to toe to them. Your forehead's even harder than theirs. <laughs> what an illustration God gives him there. You're my prophet. 
Nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to hassle you. They're going to give you all sorts of trouble. Nobody's going to harpen, hearken at all. And I'm going to make your face strong against their faces. You're going to stand nose to nose with Israel. You're going to take them on. These are the elite of Israel. They make fun of him. And he's going to have the power to stand there straight up with them and being strong. Nose to nose. Forehead strong against their forehead. Can't you just see him gritting his teeth? Boy, that fits that first, doesn't it? So maybe a little kid's that until they get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The curse is used for the flesh. Right? <laughs> like a rock. Like a rock. Strong. That's commitment. That's what God tells him. That's what you're going to do. And I guess Ezekiel was pretty committed too to do those things that God told him to do. Or what Isaiah was told to do. They took God seriously. So, we look in 1 Samuel chapter 3, last verse here. Before the kings. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's the Lord. Let him do what seems right to him. That's the way that Paul's thinking. Paul just uh, gave his life to the will of the Lord. Courage of conviction. Uh, He knew his purpose. Courage of conviction. He was not going to be diverted no matter what. And the courage of conviction in that he was willing to pay the price. Whether it be these prophets, whether it be Paul. uh, Boy, what a lesson to pick up. Just uh, being convicted. uh, Knowing that uh, God always does what's right. Paul says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus for His sake. And since He would not be persuaded, we fell silent remarking, the will of the Lord be done. If that's God's will, we just heard it from Paul, then okay. Uh, I think this is fantastic, This the last verse or verse 15. After these days, remember they've been in Caesarea. We got ready. They packed their bags. They got their luggage together. We got ready. And started on our way up to Jerusalem. Aliyah. The ascension. And you know, kind of interesting there, it's a we. It's not Paul got ready after everybody knows what it is, but he's got people going with him. He's had his entourage. And I have to wonder, there's a, there's a good chance that maybe some of these right here in Caesarea, a part of the church might have gone with him too doesn't say that in my version. Some have uh, 
kind of leaned that way. Whatever it is, uh, there are disciples following him, and so I think his courage had to affect them too. Because if they're seen with him in Jerusalem, they too could be tortured. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us. Okay, I was reading a different translation earlier, and I I didn't pick that up. I'm sorry. Thank you. I was looking all over for it, so I was kind of holding back. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us. There we go. They even name them there, taking us to Manasseh of Cyprus. It's where they. Okay, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Stay with. Okay, yeah, they take up their bags. So some of them right there from the church there, not only his own entourage. I think that's incredible. They're committed too. So his commitment was contagious. Contagious commitment. Hey, we could have given a title of that tonight. <laughs> contagious contentment. Don't we want to get contagious and spread it to others? Don't we want to get off this from them and, and take that on? I think that's fantastic, though. Yeah, thanks, Barb. I, I didn't. I thought it was in verse 15. Yeah, there we go. That helped a lot. So, anyway, uh, that they're going with him. He affects others. He's a marked man. He's a hated man. He's a man that is going to be imprisoned here, and they're ready to be identified with him. And so goes Christianity. Got a little. Uh, we were talking about illustrations tonight. Got an illustration right there on Audrey's shirt. The orange. The orange. And and Eldon's got orange on. I don't know if you know that <laughs> what if what's going on there, but <laughs> tell tell what the deal is there. Well, it came from a video that was online, but um, there's a man from Washington from some kind of Christian coalition who suggests that people wear an orange ribbon or orange something to stand in solidarity with the Christians who are being martyred by ISIS. It's uh, 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 reminiscent of their orange jumpsuits that they're seen in the videos wearing. I didn't pick up if there was any certain time that um, like Carolyn said, like breast cancer awareness, you see the pink ribbon, you know what it means. I don't know that it would, would necessarily do any good in and of itself, but it might raise awareness anyway so that they're not ignored and forgotten. But, and what's really, really uh, good about it too is saying, hey, you too can be forgiven. So the thing is, they don't know about forgiveness. And they're saying, you too, no matter how much you've done against God and His people, you can still be forgiven. So the good news is carried out through that. So it's a reminder to me to be praying for those people who are in direct attack, or in direct line of fire. And I'm sure some of them are taking the same attitude as Paul. Well, if, if it be that way, well, so be it. You know, the will of God be done. But it's you know, we, we need to be praying for our fellow Christians who really are being martyred and uh, huge way. What's that? Oh, my shoestrings. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could take that and yeah. One thing the man said 
where he said it was from? There's one that says something like remembering those who are in bonds and those who are in bonds Is that an 11? Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming out tonight and uh, looking at another portion of Scripture. Uh, Privileged. Be ready. Yeah.